You know what? I think I picked the perfect time to start this podcast. Like next season is going to be an absolute madness. If you remember, last episode I said that the basketball world moves quickly. That was a bloody understatement. This free agency, this off season has just been filled with drama and filled with moves from top to bottom that are going to change the face of the league for years to come. So many big names have decided to up sticks and move to different teams. You're talking Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, and that's just to name a few off the top of my head. To be honest, I think now is really one of the best times to become an NBA fan. Like the game is so much more international than it used to be. There's so much intrigue. And with the the what I think is the end of the Golden State Warriors dynasty, the league is now more balanced than it has been in, well, quite a number of years. So next season is just going to be so difficult to predict. Now is really a good time to get into the world of basketball. And what better place to start than with me breaking down what has been the best free agency we've seen in a number of years. So before I get into the meaty stuff, I want to give you a little bit of an introduction to what free agency means. And for, for those of you who aren't like long-term basketball fans, you might be thinking, uh, David, like the, the season ended like a month ago, but my, my Twitter feed and my Instagram feed is filled with all of this basketball stuff. What is going on? All right, so for you new fans, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a breakdown as to what this free agency thing is about. So bear with me, it's going to get a little bit technical in places, but here are the basics. So on the 30th of June at 6pm, teams and players are able to enter into negotiations to sign new contracts for their services. Now, you can't actually sign a contract until the 6th of July. So there's a six-day period where teams and players start talking to each other. You can verbally commit to a team, but you can't sign a contract. That adds to the level of drama because what you get is players who say they're going to sign with Team Y, but then back out and sign with Team Z. Famously, a few years ago, uh, DeAndre Jordan, who was playing for the Los Angeles Clippers at the time, said to the Dallas Mavericks, look, I'm going to sign with you guys, uh, but then changed his mind and decided to stay with the Clippers. And rumor has it, or at least the story goes, is that the owner of the Mavericks, Mark Cuban, was like driving the streets of Houston, trying to find DeAndre Jordan's uh, home address so he could talk him into coming to the Mavericks. So... Yeah, even though the basketball season is over, uh, there can be a lot of drama. There can be a lot of drama in the off-season. Each year, players who have reached the end of their contracts with their current teams can dip their toes into the water and see what they're worth on the open market. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, that I'm a big-name free agent. Like, I'm a superstar, uh, just finished my rookie contract, I'm looking to head into free agency. Who's going to give me my money? Like, where can I go where I can either, you know, join a championship contending team or max out on the big bucks? 
Uh, what is the process? Well, as a free agent, a free agent, quote unquote, I can't go wherever I like. There are still limits. Unlike other sports, such as football, uh, the NBA has a salary cap. The maximum amount which a team can play all of its uh, players is, and I'm going to give you the exact number here, $101,869,000. And that amount is to be shared between a maximum of 15 players. There are some exceptions to this. So, for example, like if you've uh, drafted a rookie in the first round, then uh, even though you're over the salary cap, you can still pay that rookie their, their contract. So as a free agent, if I want to go to a particular team, that team doesn't have enough uh, money to pay me, then I'm out of luck. And so you'll often see this referred to as cap space. That is the amount of money below uh, the salary cap that a team is. And that's the amount of money that they can pay a free agent. Sometimes you'll look at a player and a good example of this this year is DeMarcus Cousins. You look at a player and think, well, this guy is talented. This guy can definitely contribute to a winning team. Why is he not being scouted? Like, why has it been so long and he's not been signed to a team? Well, sometimes there's just a mismatch between what a player thinks he's worth or what a player wants to get on the market and the amount of space underneath the salary cap that a team has to sign. There's also a limit on how much a free agent or any player really can be paid. The maximum amount you can pay an NBA player is about 35% of the cap or a minty $35.7 million. Yeah, it's not too bad. So if I, hypothetical superstar, find a team that pays me money that I like, I can agree a contract for a set number of years, usually up to four years, can be up to six years in certain circumstances. And then that's that. I join my new team. I show off my new jersey on Instagram. Everybody's happy. So that is a brief introduction to like the, the basics of free agency. And it can get a hell of a lot more complicated. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, just go online and look up the NBA's collective bargaining agreement. It's a 30-page contract which contains all of the ins and outs of the salary cap, the exceptions, and it's not exactly light reading, but I don't know, if you're a corporate lawyer or a sports lawyer or something, you might get something out of it. Free agency is a spectacle in and of itself. Sometimes it can be just as dramatic as uh, what's happening on the court. Uh, whenever there are big names on the market, teams will look ahead, see who is available and are often making roster moves, making changes to their team just to make sure that they have the cap space available to sign that particular player. So when you have like the best of the best of the best on the market, sometimes teams have been working years in advance to make sure that they're in a position to sign. That creates a lot of buzz. It generates a lot, of, a bit of a frenzy when the top players are available. Back in 2010, for example, when LeBron James was about to leave the, the Cavaliers, it was a televised event. It was, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, like ESPN put out a one hour documentary special when LeBron James decided to up from Cleveland and move to Miami. Like, that's how much buzz these uh, free agent events generate. 
this free agency is a bit of an aberration in that there are so many big names on the table. It's rare that you have that cluster of talent all available in one year. So you can understand why this is a bit of a frenzy. Right, so the first domino to fall in this stacked free agency was Kevin Durant. Now, if you'll remember, he suffered that horrific Achilles tear in game five of the NBA finals. So before that, people were saying, well, I don't, you know, it's not likely that he's going to stay in Golden State. Uh, why would he want to stay? Like he's been fighting with, with uh, Draymond Green. He's been beefing with the other players. Uh, then the Achilles tear happened. And then, you know, some of the speculation started to shift. Maybe he decides to stay in Golden State to rehab. Maybe the injury gives him a fresh perspective on his career. Who knows? Anyway, not too long after free agency was announced, the news was dropped on Woj's Twitter feed that Kevin Durant had decided to sign with the Brooklyn Nets. Durant announced the signing on his Instagram account, um, on his company's Instagram account later on in the day. And yeah, that was that. The KD sweepstakes were won by the Brooklyn Nets. And not too long after that, it was announced that Kyrie Irving, who had just left the Boston Celtics, not on good terms, but had just left the Boston Celtics, was also going to be joining KD in Brooklyn. So that move right there pretty much seals the Nets as serious title contenders, at least when KD comes back from his injury. Now, Kevin Durant is going to be out for all of next season. It's looking likely that he's not going to play next season. So Brooklyn will be competitive, but it's not likely that there'll be serious contenders until Kevin Durant comes back. And now there are doubts about how good of a player he's going to be when he returns because Achilles injuries, they're no joke. And it's more than likely that he won't be 100% the same player that he used to be. He's not going to have the same step. He's not going to have the same bounce. But look, man, like the guy is seven foot tall. He's got a jump shot that is smooth as butter. He's one of the, the best shooters in the league. Nobody can guard him. Like you can't guard a Kevin Durant. I don't care if he's 80% of his former athleticism. The guy is still going to be a superstar. So when you add in a Kyrie Irving, who is hopefully going to be a little bit more positive about his experiences in uh, Brooklyn than his experiences in Boston, because it's a little bit closer to home for Kyrie, when you add him into the mix, that is some serious offensive firepower. So like, you've got to think that they're going to make some noise in the East. All right, so now a little speculation. Why? did Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving leave their respective teams? Well, it was very well publicised that Kevin Durant had a massive falling out with Draymond Green earlier this season. Um, and it seems that the relationships in the locker room in Golden State never really seemed to recover. Uh, there was a great Bleacher Report article by Howard Beck on... Uh, the Kevin Durant and Kyrie movement to, to Brooklyn. And he pointed out that the Warriors have this really sort of smooth swish ball movement and team-focused play. And it's obvious when you watch the Warriors, they just zip the ball around and 
every year they're among the, the, the best teams in the NBA in terms of the amount of assists uh, that they get a season. And then when you pair that with Kevin Durant's more ball-dominant, isolation-focused style of basketball, you have a recipe for friction there. I remember there was one game a couple of years ago. I can't remember who they were playing, but Golden State in the last possession of the game had Kevin Durant ISO at the top. And you could see the look on Steph Curry's face. And you could see the look definitely on Draymond Green's face. And they were not happy with what was happening at all. Like it just, that kind of style of play isn't really what the Warriors are are about. Now, obviously they made it work because they won a couple of their championships. But I don't think it was always happy sailing in that locker room. Uh, and, you know, to be fair, that was a couple of years ago. But then this year, I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it might have been in, in, in January or maybe before the new year. The Golden State Warriors are playing the Clippers. Uh, Draymond Green comes down with a rebound. And this is in the dying seconds of the game. Green comes down with a rebound. And Kevin Durant is like, hey, give me the ball. Like, it's the dying seconds of the game. I'm, I'm Mr. Man, give me the ball so I can score. And Draymond, I don't know what he was thinking, sails down the court, loses the ball. The game goes into overtime and that timeout, KD and Draymond are ripping into each other, ripping into each other on the bench. So you can see that from that moment on, like the, the chemistry between the players just wasn't, just wasn't the same. And to, to be honest, in addition to that, I reckon Kevin Durant is super hyper-aware of all of the criticism that he got when he left Oklahoma City to join the Golden State Warriors. And people were saying, oh, that's such a weak move. Like, why would you leave this team to join the team that had just beaten you in the Western Conference Finals? Why would you leave a team to join a team that had already won 73 games without you? Why would you go join that team? instead of winning in Oklahoma City where you were drafted. And that kind of, you know, and he he got it that, that off-season. Like, he, he was being blasted in the press, blasted in the media. And sure, he silenced some of the voices. He won two championships. He won uh, two finals MVPs. But, like, that criticism's got to hurt. So I, I reckon that was a factor in, in, in him wanting to leave... Uh, Golden State and go somewhere where, you know, he's going to be the alpha dog. He's going to be the guy. Kyrie Irving, on the other hand, like it, it seemed pretty obvious that he just didn't connect with, didn't connect with Boston, the, 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 didn't connect with his teammates, didn't connect with Brad Stevens, the coach. And from what I've read, he just didn't like living in Boston. So, you know, after the Celtics pretty unceremonious exit from uh, the Eastern Conference semifinals this year, like it seemed pretty obvious that Kyrie was not interested in staying in Boston. So I don't think it was any surprise when he decided to walk. The real interesting part of all of this is that the market chatter was that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were always going to go to New York. The question was really which team. And if you listen to the talking heads on ESPN, you will have heard, oh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving why would you pass up the opportunity to join the New York Knicks? They're one of the most storied franchises in all of basketball. You passed up the opportunity to go and play 
at Madison Square Garden, the mecca of basketball, one of the most famous arenas in the world, you passed up the opportunity to go to that franchise and be the savior? Why? And I, I, I actually thought this before any of the, the sort of decisions came out. I didn't, like, why would you go and play for the New York Knicks? Why? Because if you look at that team in the past, not just in the last couple of years, but really since Patrick Ewing left that team uh, in when, whenever, the late 90s, early 2000s, whenever it was, ever since the end of that era, New York, that Knicks team has been a dumpster fire. Like that owner, James Dolan, is one of the worst owners in the league. They've made terrible roster decisions. They've treated their star players badly. Like it, it just hasn't been a good or welcoming environment to play in. So if you're a Kevin Durant who we know is pretty sensitive to media criticism, why would you go and sign there? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and then you look at the Brooklyn Nets and that team is well run. In the last three years, they've gone from a league worst 20 wins. So they were the worst team in the league. And then they catapult to being a sixth seed in the East in just three years. The general manager is good. The coach is competent. And they still have some pieces that fit nicely around Kevin Durant and Kyrie. So you still get to go to New York. You get to face a little bit less media scrutiny. And you get to go to a, a well-run team. In addition to all of those things, the New York Knicks were not willing to pay Kevin Durant like the full uh, max contract. So if you remember, I said earlier, there's a maximum amount of money you can pay a player. And the exact amount depends on exactly how much experience a player has. But regardless, the Knicks didn't want to pay Kevin Durant the maximum amount of money. And if you're a Knicks fan, you've got to be fuming. You've got to be fuming at that decision because... As I said earlier, even if you doubt that KD is going to be 100% of the player he was before the injury, he is still going to be one of the best players in the league. So you got to scratch your head and think, what was the reason behind that decision? And then you, you look at the players that the Knicks have signed. Yes, Julius Randle, who they picked up this offseason, is a solid player, but he's not Kevin Durant. He's not Kyrie Irving. So it just feels like, yeah, they, they really shot themselves in the foot there. So yeah, KD and Kyrie snub the Knicks and make their way over to Brooklyn. And that was the, the first massive news of the offseason. Leaving the East Coast and heading back over to Golden State, a lot of things were happening in, in that franchise. And... I said this earlier, I do think that this is the end of the Golden State Warriors dynasty as we as we know it. That the team as it was constructed is just not is not the same. So we'll start at the top. Um congratulations to Golden State. They managed to retain Clay Thompson on a five year $190 million contract, not too shabby. Um, sadly, he suffered like a pretty bad injury in game six of the NBA finals, which I broke down in episode one of this podcast. Go and check it out. Uh, and so he's going to be out for, well, at least until all-star break, at least until the all-star break, um, from what I've been reading. So at least they still have him on the team. 
but he's not going to be 100% for a, a while. I think this team with both Steph Curry and Clay Thompson obviously is still going to be competitive. So I know I've said, oh, the end of the Golden State Warriors dynasty, etc. But look, it's still going to be a good team. Those are two of the, the greatest shooters in the history of, of, of the game. So the question is whether the Golden State Warriors will be able to stay afloat while Clay Thompson is still rehabbing his knee injury. Now, if you remember during the course of the NBA Finals, when Clay was injured, there was game two. No, it wasn't. It was either game two or game three. I believe it might have been game three where Clay Thompson was out. Obviously, Kevin Durant wasn't uh, was still injured at that point, And it was just Steph Curry on the team. And he had one of the greatest shooting performances in the history of the NBA Finals. And the Warriors still weren't able to beat uh, Toronto. Bear in mind, Toronto themselves were one of the best teams in the league. The point I'm trying to make is, with only Steph Curry on the floor, that's you're asking him to do a lot in order for the Golden State Warriors to remain competitive. So he's going to need some help. And this is where uh, the Brooklyn Nets come in. Because if you will remember, KD and Kyrie obviously go to Brooklyn. But D'Angelo Russell, the Nets all-star point guard, in the midst of all of this commotion, he gets shipped from the Nets over to, to Golden State. Now, Russell is no KD. Russell is no Clay Thompson. But he's no slouch. He's no slouch. He's a talented offensive player. He shoots very well from, from three. And he made an All-Star game for the first time this season and led an underdog Nets team to a winning record and a playoff berth. So Russell will definitely help the Warriors team while uh, Clay Thompson is rehabbing. But when Clay Thompson comes back, there are some questions to be asked because how does that team even fit together? Because they're not paying D'Angelo Russell $117 million, $117 million, sorry, to come off the bench. So presumably the Warriors are going to run a really small ball lineup where you have Steph Curry at point guard, uh, D'Angelo Russell playing, playing the two and Clay Thompson at, at small forward. You know, who knows how that's going to work. But still, man, I, I think Golden State are going to be one of the mysteries of, of next season. And, you know, never mind the loss of KD, what really marks the end of an era for, for the Warriors is Andre Iguodala, who got traded to the to the Grizzlies. And, you know, that really is the 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 mark of the end of the this current Warriors team because Iguodala has been such a key veteran presence on that team and he brought such a sense of leadership and just a cool head. He was the kind of guy when everything else was not falling, when everything else seemed to be to be coming apart, he would just hit a key three-pointer, get to the basket, get fouled. He was just that glue guy for them. Okay, so let's head back east for a second, looking at the Boston Celtics. Now, as I covered earlier, Kyrie Irving decided to up and move over to Brooklyn, and that leaves a big gap for the Celtics in terms of who's going to replace that level of offensive dynamism. Those are some big shoes to fill. In an attempt to do this, the Celtics reached out and signed Kemba Walker from the Charlotte Hornets. 
Kemba walked from the Hornets because reportedly they didn't want to give him the max. They didn't want to give him a max contract, which is a curious decision given that Kemba is the Hornets' biggest player and it doesn't seem like the Hornets have done anything else this offseason. So they're more than likely going to be the worst team in the league next season. So I don't know what Michael Jordan is doing over there with the Charlotte Hornets, but whatever. Kemba uh, has left the Hornets and has gone to join the Boston Celtics with a juicy $141 million deal over the next four years. Now, Kemba Walker has been balling out the last couple of seasons and he's cemented his status as a perennial all-star. Is he the number one option on a championship contending team? To be honest, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, uh, this Boston Celtics team, you've got to remember when Kyrie Irving and uh, Gold- Gordon Hayward were injured the season before, the Celtics very they came close to making the NBA finals that year. They they got uh hit by the LeBron train in Cleveland, as every team in the East had been for the past like eight years or so. But they came close. They came close. So if you take a disgruntled Kyrie Irving and replace him with a hopefully focused and hungry to win Kemble Walker, then you got to look at the Celtics and think these guys might make noise next year. In terms of the direct comparison between Kemba Walker and Kyrie Irving, I'm not going to lie. Kemba reminds me of Kyrie a lot. He's got this, like, he's got a really good handle. He's great at, at handling the ball. He's quick. He's really able to, to get to the basket uh, with ease. And if you just look up, Kemba's top 10 players on YouTube or whatever, the guy's clutch. Like he he has an array of game-winning shots on his resume. So he's a he's a top-tier player. He's a top-tier player. What you'll probably hear is, you know, oh Kemba's not on the same level as Kyrie Irving. Um, which okay, that might be true. But to be honest, if you look at the statistics, if you look at the statistics relating to their offensive efficiency. Kemba Walker isn't a million miles away from Kyrie. To to be honest, other than the fact that Kyrie Irving is a better three-point shooter than Kemba Walker is, if you look at their efficiency in terms of uh, points per possession in pick-and-roll situations and in isolation situations, they're honestly quite similar. And Kemba actually beats Kyrie in, in, in some respects. So... Similar players, similar styles of play. Kyrie is the more talented player for sure. But you got to remember that Kyrie Irving did not want to be in Boston. He didn't want to be there. I don't imagine that Kemba is going to have the same negative impact on the locker room. And look, as a general rule, I will take a superstar that wants to be in a location over a more talented superstar that doesn't want to be there any day of the week. Look, if a player doesn't want to play for your team, he's not going to play well. He's not going to play well. So to be honest, I'd call this a net positive for the Celtics. And the team is looking interesting. The team is looking very interesting. The sad thing is, though, they were not able to hold on to Al Horford. Now, Al Horford has been the linchpin of the Celtics defense for a number of years now. He is 
criminally underrated year after year. He's one of the, the best uh, front court defenders in the NBA. He's uh, versatile offensively. He's a good playmaker. He's just a really smart basketball player. And he's one of those like veteran guys. Like I, w- I was talking about Andre Iguodala earlier in the podcast. You need a guy with a level head who's just able to make good decisions when the chips are on the line. And so losing Al Horford, who's one of those guys, that's got to hurt for the Celtics. That's got to hurt for the Celtics. And just go again, go on YouTube, look up clips of Al Horford defending, say, Giannis Antetokounmpo or Joel Embiid on the Sixers, and you'll get a sense of just how good uh, this guy is. He, he was definitely like the Kevin Garnett of his generation, just in terms of the impact he had on that Celtics defense. So... Horford is going to the Philadelphia 76ers for four years and $97 million. So he's going to be teaming up with Joel Embiid and that front court is going to be scary. And that's just as well because the Sixers have their own gaping hole to fill, having failed to retain Jimmy Butler. Now, Jimmy Buckets is uh, heading to Miami, which is... That's a blow. That's a blow because Jimmy Butler is uh, one of the better, one of the best, to be honest, two-way players in the NBA. He's a lockdown defender and is just money from mid-range. Like he's he's a re- he's a really good shooter. So losing him is not easy. It's not easy, especially since the Sixers would often go to Butler in the dying minutes of close games, especially in the playoffs. You do wonder whether the absence of Jimmy Butler will mean that Joel Embiid will develop a little bit more as the clear-cut number one option in Philadelphia. So perhaps some of the reported off-court friction which which was happening in Philadelphia, maybe that will be eased somewhat uh, now that Jimmy Butler isn't in Philadelphia. He is a well-known, I don't want to say hothead, but he's got a very kind of no-nonsense, direct style. And especially early in the season, Jimmy Butler was going to the coach and saying, listen, you're not running enough isolation plays for me. Now, that's not the recipe for a happy team if one player is like, I need to get the ball and you guys need to get the hell out of the way. Especially with a team like the Sixers where you had a lot of offensive talent. You had Joel Embiid, you had Ben Simmons, you had Tobias Harris. You know, there's only one there's only one ball on the floor at any one time. So if one player is like, I want to be the guy, that is never really a recipe for a sustainable situation. So it's probably not that surprising that Jimmy Butler decided to up sticks and go to Miami because there he's going to be the man. He's going to be the man. He also gets to live in South Beach. Lucky him. Uh, he'll be out there enjoying the sunshine and the boat parties. Who can blame him? Who can blame him? Right, so that brings us to the big decision. Um, On Friday the 5th of July, uh, over in Las Vegas, the New York Knicks and the New Orleans Pelicans were playing each other in a summer league game. Bear with me for a second. The game had to be stopped halfway through because of an earthquake. There was an earthquake on the West Coast. I, I don't know where the epicenter was, somewhere in, in, in California somewhere. 
and the arena was literally shaking. Like players were like, what's going on? And the broadcasters were like, oh, there's an earthquake happening. While that was going on, on the same day, Kawhi Leonard was setting off his own earthquake by revealing that he would join the LA Clippers. So look, the clear-cut winners of free agency are the Clippers, right? Uh, Because not only did they manage to grab Kawhi Leonard, they also managed to pull off the most shocking trade of the offseason in trading a whole bunch of draft picks. Like, I think it was it's either five or six draft picks over the next few years, trading all of those draft picks and a couple of young players to Oklahoma City for Paul George. So you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George going to join the Clippers. Now, the big question of this offseason has obviously been, well, where is Kawhi going to sign? Because uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving came off the board really early in the process. Kawhi delayed his decision for a long time. And, you know, the, the rumor mill was running wild. Just people coming out and saying, oh, he's definitely going to the Lakers. Oh, he's definitely not leaving Toronto. Uh, just people, you know, all of the famous talking heads on ESPN driving themselves crazy, just trying to be the first to report where Kawhi was going. So some guy would be like, oh no, he's 100%. I think it was Jalen Rose who said he's 99% not leaving the Toronto Raptors. And we all know how that turned out. Um, But apparently Kawhi delayed his decision because he was waiting for, he was waiting for, to see whether the Clippers could pull off this trade for, for Paul George. So yep, they got it done. And they have clinched, yeah, two of the best players in the league. That's, you know, that, that there's, uh, that's the simplest way to put it. Putting my speculation hat on, why do I think Kawhi decided to go to LA? Well, that's fairly simple. I, I think if you remember just after him leaving San Antonio, his preferred destination was LA, but he got traded to Toronto. He didn't pick Toronto. So it's not that surprising to see that he wants to go back home to LA, which is near where he grew up. Um, And he gets to leave the cold and go to the West Coast and be in warm weather, which is often a big factor in these massive free agent signings. And that's been a theme of this is like all of the biggest players, Kel Surprise, want to go to places which are warm places where there are big cities and lots of things happening, parties and business opportunities, etc., etc. So LA, obviously, is a good choice for that. Now, there was a lot of speculation about him potentially going to join the Los Angeles Lakers, but reportedly Kawhi didn't want to form a super team uh, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who'd already sort of announced that they were going to be teaming up in, in LA. And look, like given what Kevin Durant went through after he left Oklahoma City to join the Golden State Warriors, I honestly don't blame Kawhi. Like if you're a player who cares about winning and also cares about legacy, you don't want to like leave your team and then go join up with a team that doesn't really need you to win. It's, it's just not a good look. Uh, the interesting thing about this particular deal is that Kawhi didn't choose to take the maximum amount of money on the table. 
Now, in his situation, he would have been able to sign a four-year, $141 million contract like Kyrie did and like Kemba Walker did. But he's opted for a, a two-plus-one contract for $103 million. Now, you are right now thinking, David, what the hell is a two-plus-one contract? What does that mean? In this context, two-plus-one means Kawhi has a player option in his third year. He can choose to opt out of his contract if he doesn't want to play for the Clippers in year three. That happens to coincide with the expiry of Paul George's contract, which means that we could have this whole situation play out again in the 2021 free agent offseason. And the reason for him doing this is, is, is fairly technical. Essentially, the amount of money which you can pay a player scales upwards depending on how long that player has been tenured in the NBA. So in the 2021 season, I think at that point, Kawhi will have served 10 years in the NBA, which makes him eligible for what is called the Supermax contract, which is the highest amount of money an NBA player can be paid. Yeah, so that's the the, the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, And yeah, the Clippers have absolutely smashed it this offseason. Getting two of the best two-way players in this league uh, in their prime for a guaranteed two years at least, that's like winning the lottery on your birthday. It's And they were already, they were already a playoff team, right? They were already, uh, I think it was the sixth seed. Don't quote me on that. But the Clippers, as they were currently constructed, came in and gave the Golden State Warriors like a really competitive series. They took the Golden State Warriors to six, uh, six games. So for that team to turn around and add two of the best players in the league, they've got you. you you've got to see them as as favourites next season. They're definitely my pick to win the championship next year. And I know the Lakers have gotten a lot better as well. But like, I, I look at this Clippers team and. They still have Patrick Beverly, who is like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, Patrick Beverly, lockdown defender, sharpshooter from three-point range. They still have Lou Williams, who is, he's got to be the best bench scorer in the NBA. I believe he won six man of the year this year. I'd be very surprised if he didn't. Uh, he's going to be fantastic for them coming off the bench. Uh, so imagine, you know, you sit, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and then you have to face Lou Williams like tearing up your backup players that's he's going to be a nightmare and they also have Landry Shamet who's a promising rookie who again has been shooting really good well from the three-point line they have Montrez Harrell who's like this really imposing really big physical player who plays really hard like that team is just going to be stacked and I think I think the thing that is being most overlooked in terms of how well the Clippers are going to play next year is the fact that I don't really foresee, I don't imagine that there are going to be a lot of chemistry issues with this superstar pairing. Like Kawhi Leonard, famously the most, probably the most low-key superstar in terms of his personality that the NBA has ever seen. I can't imagine him having like major chemistry issues in the same way as, you know, like a Carmelo Anthony or a 
or a, 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 a Kobe Bryant. Like Kawhi just doesn't seem to be that guy. And Paul George has already played with Russell Westbrook, who is one of the more ball dominant players in the league. Russell Westbrook was top 10 in usage rate last season. And Paul George was still able to have an MVP caliber season playing next to Russ. So him linking up with Kawhi, who is super efficient and also very unselfish, you've got to see that, that chemistry, that locker room, I think is going to be really good. So look, it's going to be a treat watching this Clippers team play. I think they're going to be the, the best in the league next season. But the great thing about just how awesome this offseason has been is that there have been so many players, top tier players, moving from place to place. And we have so many new dynamic duos. It's almost impossible to really predict who is going to win next season. So look, the Western Conference especially is going to be a bloodbath, man. Like, it's just going to be a madness. Yeah, so there it is. That is my whistle-stop tour through the biggest names of free agency. And we've just about scratched the surface with everything that's been happening. I haven't talked about Anthony Davis. I haven't talked about Russell Westbrook leaving Oklahoma City to join Houston. I haven't talked about Chris Paul. I've not talked about DeMarcus Cousins. I like mentioned DeAndre Jordan going off to, 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 to join the Nets. Like There are so many moves to talk about. And yet so little time. So look, next episode, I'm going to try to get into to all of the moves I haven't talked about yet. And also try and delve a bit deeper into the X's and O's of the new look NBA. As always, thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.